Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. I'm Madigan, and you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, a podcast that explores the world through a personal feminist perspective. Hello, everybody. I am going to make a bit of a disclaimer before I get into any other part of this episode. I've been battling a sinus infection this week. This is the best I've sounded in the last few days, and I still really wanted to get a mini episode up for you all to update you on what's been going on in the news this week since I've been sitting on my ass able to scroll on my phone and read lots of news constantly. But I also want to say that if my voice gets too annoying, I won't be offended if you turn this episode off and join me again next week. I know it's probably really obnoxious to hear one single host sound so incredibly nasally. I always think that I sound a bit like Janice from Friends when I'm sick. Oh my god. Like it's just terrible. I have terrible nasal sounds in general, but when I'm sick, it's really something nasty. And I can't hear very well, so I've got my headphones turned up like all the way so I can try to hear myself a little bit and correct anything that sounds too awful. I'm so sorry. I know I'm overcorrecting myself, but I'm an apologizer. What can I say? So the first story that I want to touch on is incredibly devastating and heartbreaking, but equally as important to discuss, even though it is a clearly difficult conversation, there has been a police killing in Los Angeles of a Black Lives Matter co-founder's cousin. His name was Keenan Anderson, and he was 31 years old and worked as a high school teacher. He was also a father. He worked as an English teacher at a predominantly black school in Washington, D.C., and he was visiting L.A. at the time of his murder, but he had previously worked at a charter school in Watts, so he was familiar with the city. Cousin and co-founder of Black Lives Matter, Patrice Coolers, said that she and Anderson were part of a large family that migrated from Louisiana, quote, to get away from racism, to get away from the terrorizing of white supremacists and the structures that impact our communities. Coolers went on to say, I think about the migration of black people and what we do to try to keep our families safe and coming to California and Los Angeles as this Western haven, given the impact law enforcement has had on so many of my family members and now killing my cousin, it's painful because he was so committed to family. And I like that she pointed out the fact that this happened in a place that is supposed to be seen as this very progressive area, though the LAPD is responsible for the deaths of so many people that are in and out of custody and are such a fucked up police force. I want to give a trigger warning before I go into the events that occurred on January 3rd, including the content from the body cam video. I will be as least graphic as possible, but I believe it's important for us to hear what led to this man's death. If you feel that this material may be too heavy for you, please fast forward to 5 minutes and 13 seconds into the show to hear the rest of the topics. 
On January 3rd, an officer arrived to a car collision at Venice and Lincoln Boulevards where they found Keenan Anderson in the middle of the road saying, please help me. The officer told him to get up on the sidewalk and issued commands saying, get up against the wall, as Anderson stood with his hands up. He then instead sat down on the sidewalk. This made the officer frustrated that he was headed toward the sidewalk and not the wall as instructed and was clearly getting aggravated with Keenan. In response to this, Keenan said, I want people to see me. You're putting a thing on me regarding the officer pointing his taser at him. And I want to interject that this is exactly what Keenan should be doing in this situation. He's getting himself out into the street to be seen by people passing by in order for there to be witnesses to what's going on. If he had gone closer to the wall, it would have been less likely that he would have been noticed by others. At one point, I'm sure terrified that something terrible was going to happen to him, Keenan began to flee, and the officer chased him on his motorcycle, shouting for him to get down on the ground. Once they got to Keenan, he repeatedly said, Help me, they're trying to kill me, as multiple officers held him down. One of the officers placed their body weight on Keenan's neck while he was lying with his back on the ground. The officer said, Turn over or I'm going to tase you. At one point, Keenan can be heard saying, They're trying to George Floyd me. He was tased for 30 seconds. Then there was a rest, followed by tasing him again for about five more seconds. Paramedics came later to the scene and took Keenan to a hospital, where according to the LAPD, he went into cardiac arrest for four and a half hours until he passed away. I didn't see this news conference, so I wonder how they are going about explaining this cardiac arrest, because... For everything that I've read, Keenan seemed to be a completely healthy 31-year-old man, and the only reason for a cardiac arrest would be the prolonged use of a taser. So to me, that's admitting their faults and admitting the fact that their actions led to this very young man's cardiac arrest, if in fact that is what really happened, because I only believe a grain of rice, if that, of what the LAPD has to say. Cousin Patrice told the Guardian... It was a traffic accident. Instead of treating him like a potential criminal, police should have called the ambulance. If there was a policy in which traffic stops were met with unarmed professionals who come to the scene to help with whatever situation has happened, that would have prevented my cousin's death. And that would have prevented so many other deaths. These types of killings and this type of force will not be interrupted unless we have courageous elected officials come forward and challenge not just the police, but also the policies. She continued saying, My cousin was asking for help, and he didn't receive it. He was killed. Nobody deserves to die in fear, panicking, and scared for their life. My cousin was scared for his life. He spent the last 10 years witnessing a movement challenging the killing of black people. He knew what was at stake, and he was trying to protect himself. Nobody was willing to protect him. National data shows that roughly 10% of killings by the police each year start with a traffic encounter, and that one in three people killed were fleeing before lethal force was used. They started tracking police killings nationwide in 2013, so only 10 years ago, which is absolutely wild. But statistics show that the year 2022 was the deadliest year for police violence since experts began tracking it. The LAPD alone has already fatally shot two people so far in 2023. 
Law enforcement officials and reform proponents have argued whether tasers are lethal weapons or not, with experts and racial justice advocates having raised concerns about the mass deployment of stun guns. There seems to be more and more evidence of how potentially fatal the use of tasers can be, with a Routers investigation finding more than a thousand cases between 2000 and 2018 where people died after they were tased. There are also more than a dozen shootings by police that occurred when the officer reached for their gun instead of their taser. This includes the deaths of Oscar Grant and Dante Wright. LAPD Chief Michael Moore said in a news conference that Keenan's behavior was, quote, erratic, and he suffered from a, quote, medical emergency. Well, haven't we heard that one before? That's exactly what they said after George Floyd was murdered. Chief Moore also claimed that the preliminary blood test revealed cannabis and cocaine in his system, but a formal cause of death has not been determined. To which I ask, why on earth would they release the information on drug use but not release the cause of death? To me, this screams racism, as this would not be the case for any white person killed suspiciously by the police. They wouldn't just go out and start talking about drug use and start creating all of these false narratives in people's minds before coming forward with the actual facts of how this person died so that they don't cause all this commotion and hubbub. Like, the police are doing this. And it's playing into a dangerous narrative that many anti-Black Lives Matter people would perpetuate during the time of George Floyd's murder, using the drugs in his system plus heart failure as the cause of his death and really blaming the drugs for the death and not his murderer. The LAPD, of course, does not label what happened to Keenan Anderson as a killing, but as a, quote, in-custody death, which makes no sense to me as he never seemed to be arrested or in custody for anything. Chief Moore said that the taser was activated against Keenan Anderson 10 times, but that not all of the deployments were, quote, effective, adding, it's unclear what role the physical struggle with the officers and the use of the taser played in his unfortunate death. He also says that as the investigation continues, he will pay closer attention to the use of the taser. I'm sure you will. Under LAPD policy, he said, there is no preset limit on the number of times a taser can be used in a particular situation. However, officers should generally avoid repeated or simultaneous activations to avoid potential injury. L.A. Mayor Karen Bass called the footage and the two other fatal shootings this month deeply disturbing. And in a statement, she said, we must reduce the use of force overall. And I have absolutely no tolerance for excessive force. When there is no immediate risk to others, law enforcement must not be the first responder when someone is experiencing a mental health crisis. We don't know if in fact Keenan was experiencing a mental health crisis or if she was referring to one of the other recent deaths this year, but we do know that he needed help and he ended up losing his life. Rest in power, Keenan Anderson. All right, the next thing that I want to move on to is a bit of a continuation from last week's discussion about the six-year-old who shot their teacher in the classroom. There has been more and more talk about children with guns in the media this week, and some other really startling things happened very, very recently, which is adding to the conversation about children with guns. A father in Indiana was arrested after his four-year-old son was seen walking alone holding a loaded Smith & Wesson handgun on a security camera at an apartment building. A neighbor called 911 upon seeing the child, 
and the police arrived reporting the boy was only wearing a diaper and had a chrome handgun, which he was pointing at people. A 16-year-old went to alert his mother in their apartment that there was a, quote, baby with a gun and told his family to get away from the door. The mother instead then looked through the peephole and saw the toddler carrying the gun and pointing it toward her from the top of the stairs. Apparently, the child said something like, look what I got, and laughed a little. She thought the gun was a toy. She said, he's a kid. He didn't have a clue the severity of what he was doing. No clue that he could have easily taken his life or somebody else's. In fact, it was the child who answered the door when the police arrived. The father, Shane Osborne, was initially charged with neglect of a dependent following the incident on Saturday. Shane said that he wasn't feeling well and hadn't realized that his son had left the apartment. He also told police that there wasn't a firearm in the house, nor did the child have any toy guns. The authorities did a quick, quote, custody search of the apartment where there was no gun found in plain view, so the officers just left. Thankfully, a neighbor flagged down the authorities as they were leaving, showing them the footage from her security camera of the four-year-old with the gun. The officers then returned to the apartment to conduct another and hopefully more thorough search, in which Shane repeated again and again that he didn't own a firearm, but he did say that a relative may have left one in the home. After getting nowhere with the father, the officers then turned to this four-year-old child and asked him where his, quote, pew-pew was. Oh, it's so fucking sad. And the kid led them to a roll-top desk that contained the handgun. I am so proud of this little boy for deceiving his shithole father and showing them where the weapon is, completely humiliating and showing him for who he is. Of course, the dad acted like he had no idea how the gun had gotten there or how his son even knew about it. Thankfully, after the father's arrest, the child was taken to their mother's home. Shane Osborne has now been charged with dangerous control of a firearm and two counts of neglect of a dependent for leaving the child, quote, unattended and in possession of a loaded gun and, quote, able to leave the residence through the unlocked front door while only wearing a diaper. By now, if you've been a listener for a while, you know my feelings around guns. They absolutely terrify me. And if I never have to touch one in my life, I will be a happy camper. But I also know a lot of people who own guns, especially back in Minnesota. My family is really into hunting. I grew up babysitting for a family that were all really into hunting. And it's very common for a lot of young kids in the Midwest and other places where hunting is really popular to start handling guns at a very, very young age. I mean, I've seen my cousins post some photos on Facebook of like what I would consider still like basically toddler children holding guns, like four or five-year-olds going on hunting trips. And that terrifies me. I just personally don't think it's ever a good idea for a child to be around a violent weapon of any kind. But if you, as an adult, who have gotten a gun legally and you are fully capable and of sound mind to own a gun, it is absolutely critical that you have a secure gun safe. In the United States, over 30 million children live in households with firearms. Many parents believe that their children don't know where their guns are kept, but one study found that 40% of those children could correctly identify where their parents' guns were, and nearly as many children admitted to have handling their parents' guns in the past. On top of all of that, half of all youth suicides occur from firearms. 
This is why it is so important to be safe if you are to have guns and why in my head, I just want to get rid of them all. Just get rid of the guns. We don't need them. Let's find another way to attack each other. I don't know, but like, I just don't see the need for them. And the fact that this child could have so badly hurt himself or somebody else is just so saddening to me. And, you know, this is totally off topic of guns, but the video as a whole made me really sad. I get that not all four-year-olds are perfectly potty trained. I take care of an almost four-year-old who still wears, you know, pull-ups to bed or, you know, if they're not feeling well and things like that, they're still kind of getting the hang of potty training. And boys do tend to take longer than girls typically to be fully potty trained. So I'm trying not to be judgmental about the fact that this four-year-old is seen in a diaper. To me, that also seems a little bit neglectful, like maybe his parents aren't properly potty training him and teaching him to grow up properly. Also, the fact that this child was not wearing any clothing and just roaming around the apartment. Now, again, I take care of an almost four-year-old boy who the second he walks through the door of his house rips his pants off. Like, the kid absolutely hates pants. I get it. Babies like to be naked. They like to do their thing. But the fact that this child was unclothed in a diaper, wandering the halls, all of that together adds to a lot of nefarious behavior in my head. And I'm really, really concerned about this child. I know that they were taken to the mother, but I really hope the mother is a more capable parent than the father. I hope this child is being looked after. I feel like I've said this so many times recently, but children are just so impressionable and vulnerable and innocent, and they have... They have no agency in their own lives and their own decisions and how they're raised. And seeing kids being mistreated is one of the things that breaks my heart more than anything in the world because these are future adults that we're creating. And we want to make sure that we are creating the best world for ourselves and for our fellow people. So I know I kind of went off topic from the guns there, but this story as a whole just really, really affected me and made me so sad. And I felt that it was very important to add to the conversation of why gun safety, particularly around children, is so important. All right, before moving on to the final topic of the day, let's take a quick break for some commercials. All right, we are back. A smiling and laughing Greta Thunberg was carried away by police in Germany on Tuesday at a protest over the expansion of a coal mine in the western village of Lutzerath, Germany. I apologize if I'm not saying that right. This marks the second time that Greta was arrested at this site. The previous Saturday, she was part of a large group of protesters that broke through a police barrier and encroached on a coal pit. This could have been very dangerous after there had been a lot of rainfall that had occurred over the last few days, and the amount of people could have set the ground in motion, making it very dangerous for the protesters and anybody else at the site. So the police removed everybody from this coal mine site. On Sunday, she and a lot of other protesters returned, and she was detained for the first time. Police have removed hundreds of activists from Lutzerath over the last week or so, and some have been on the site for more than two years, occupying homes that have been abandoned by former residents after they were evicted in 2017 for the creation of the coal mine. Now they want to expand that mine, and more evictions are to come from more than a 1,000 officers involved in the eviction process. Most of the village's buildings have already been cleared and were replaced with excavating machines. 
The European energy company RWE is in charge of the mine and plans to build a 1.5-kilometer perimeter, or about a mile for the Americans, long fence around the village, sealing off its buildings, streets, and sewers before they are all demolished. Climate activists argue that continuing to burn coal for energy will increase planet warming emissions and violates the Paris Climate Agreement's ambition to limit global temperatures to rise to 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. Lignite coal, which is used in this coal mine in Germany, is known to be the most polluting of the fossil fuels. She was arrested again on Tuesday, leading to the viral image and video of her smiling and laughing as a group of officers carry her away. It's pretty hilarious, actually. Greta addressed the around 6,000 protesters who marched toward the German village on Saturday, calling the expansion of the mine a betrayal of present and future generations. Greta says, Germany is one of the biggest polluters in the world and needs to be held accountable. All right, well, I'm glad that I kept it a little bit more mini this week, so you don't have to listen to any more of this voice. But I hope that for those of you who lasted throughout the episode, that you enjoyed these news topics. If there's anything that you want me to cover in the future, please email me at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram at angryneighborhoodfeminist. If you want to wear any Yamp merch, please go to the link in the bio and check out the designs. And I simply cannot say it enough. The best way that you can help support the show is by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts with a quick sentence about why you enjoy the show or rating it on Spotify. All right, that's everything I have for you today. With all of that being said, I encourage you to rage on. Bye. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.